So in this project, because I see that you say that electrochemical battery technology is not followed by same more low technology that Microsoft have. I think that's a really interesting part. Do you think that business statement, we can design like softer brain for soft robotics if we don't follow Moore's law? How, how do you see this kind of uh, direction if we can design circuits that doesn't depend on Moore's law? How do you see the opportunity? Is it something uh, completely soft? How do you see that? Yeah, well, let me answer that in two parts. First, I actually read a, a wonderful summary of um, the last 10 years of, uh, of lithium-based battery development. Mm -hmm. And it's probable that, um, that we're on a curve that's more like Moore's Law now. And, and I think at the time when I was thinking about this, we were perhaps at the, uh, the very fat, flat uh, part of that curve. So I, I do mm -hmm. think that battery technology has come a long way. And it's not an area that I have any real expertise in. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't claim to prognosticate about that. Um, it's still true, though, that um, in the kinds of systems that I was building for wildlife tracking and in robotics, energy storage remains a major um, issue. And so I, I mentioned a, a while previously in this conversation uh, um, about our focus on system level design and making sure that we were always kind of checking in that the, the current path that we were on with a particular design or approach um, seemed probable to lead us toward where we need to be eventually. And so in the case of the wildlife tracking work, uh, that need and that restriction, that, that need for long endurance um, for these tags, what we call tags, the tracking devices, and the, re the restriction of um, storable energy impacted the system design yeah. from the very beginning. And so the entire system was designed around the need to have incredibly low energy per position fix. And so even today, I looked at this, um, I think last year, even today, that approach, um, the, 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 this uh, time of flight based tracking system um, that, that I worked on some time ago, even today, it's about a thousand times more energy efficient than GPS when measured in uh, joules per position fix. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an example of um, what's possible if you think about where you need to be while you're doing the initial exploration of the design space. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, I think the same, the same is true in soft robotics. Um, there are many very interesting, um, maybe short term paths toward actuation that seem less promising if you think about the totality of the energy intensity of that particular actuation scheme. Mm -hmm. And so um, while, you know, we certainly in my lab use those those kinds of more near-term actuation approaches. We're also we're keeping an eye on um, potential solutions that would be radically more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So in this perspective, because you have these overwhelming experiences, I think that's very interesting. What is the most inspiring living creature you have witnessed in terms of energy storage? And maybe when you work in, in, in before going to grad school, because I think that's really interesting. What what huh. inspiring for you? Yeah, well, actually, this this comes out of um, my my travels and conversations with biologists. I, I wasn't mm -hmm. aware of this, but there's something called a bar-tailed gotwit that um, is a it's a shorebird, um, and for for whatever reason, this bird has evolved to travel um, across the equator from basically from North Pole to South Pole, mm -hmm. so about seven thousand miles or more of um, nonstop flight. And um, I mean, it's just marvelous if you think about the amount of energy 
that this animal uh, is storing, um, but more so, you know, the efficiency, the cost of transport of this particular animal is just remarkable. Yeah, I think that's interesting, Bart, because I think uh, when I look to what you have been working on, first question is, what do you think the missing pieces when you look to the animals or parrots around you in, when you when you work in that and you look at the lab, what is the missing pieces? Why we have this kind of gap? It's about understanding or about material selection or modeling. What could be this missing piece? And I'm saying this question because I see in your research, you're focusing in a, in a problem and then you find solution. I think your approach that you're tackling the, the fundamental problems. Uh, so I don't know how, how do you see this gap uh, between what we have in nature and what we have to do in the lab, either by inspiration or by mimicry? Yeah, well, um, this is maybe a non-answer, but I mean, um, it feels like we're missing many, many of the pieces. I mean, mm -hmm. so our ability to marshal uh, design tools to create um, complex designs that are uh, morphologically uh, dependent on the ultimate solution we're trying to, to solve and not on some uh, preconceived design that we think might be approachable or might be um, fabricatable. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we're at the very early stages of having tools that allow us to think more um, holistically from a sort of a, a needs propagating backwards to a mechanical solution uh, approach. Um, we're at the infancy of materials that are appropriate for these devices. We're in the infancy of, of um, energy storage and of energy conversion into mechanical work. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, as I said, it's a non-answer, but I, I think uh, we're at the very early innings. Do you have example for you when you work something you witnessed that I miss this understanding or, I, or maybe in general the field? Do you have example for that? Uh, the mis misunderstandings about the yeah, field. Yeah, for example, when you mentioned that what missing pieces, do you have example you can illustrate something you see that limitation and we have to, a student maybe want to work on that in the future, so maybe limitation you have to consider. What could be realistic limitation in terms of research and software robotics field and we have to consider? Well, um, maybe two answers to that. I mean, as I say, we're still in the very early stages of, mm -hmm. of, of learning how to design soft robots and power them. And I think as a result, many of the uh, you know, excellent soft robotic designs um, also include uh, a tether, for example. So yeah. there'll be a, a hose or many hoses kind of going off screen to uh, some collection of pumps and compressors that are plugged into the wall power supply. Um, and so, you know, of course, the, the researchers in that case are not talking about the energy consumption they're talking about the, the good work they've done with the other parts of the robot but um i think in many cases the reliance on that kind of um of solution creates a robot that could never be untethered for example and so if that's important then um it could be a non-starter mm. um so i think that you know there, there are these kinds of limitations i also think that um we may be limiting ourselves in the in the field with sort of um, premature convergence on on design solutions, maybe, mm -hmm. and I think it's natural. You know, we I think that we develop collectively, we develop solutions to problems, and then we all um, notice those solutions and and make um, improvements to those solutions. But it means that we kind of collectively arrive at, at similar looking designs, and that mm -hmm. may be the right thing. But my intuition is that we're still early enough in this field that um, there's perhaps a need to make sure that we don't 
converge too quickly on a particular set of solutions. Mm -hmm. 